startup this year, I was able to get uh, a personal retreat away. So um, winter break um, for, for our district and for Tanya was this awkward, like the second week was the whole second week, our first week of January. And so Tanya's home, the kids are home. Um, and so I was blessed with uh, three days, two nights, three days away from, um, from the, k the kids and the family to be alone. And um, that, right, that, that was the gift already. Um, but there's a secondary gift, maybe the primary, secondary, whatever it is. But one of the highlights for me on this retreat was hiking this, this trail. And there's a picture of it called East Indio Hills Trail. And in parentheses, they call it the Badlands. So think of what you, whatever that comes to mind for you. And I found out on Google, I researched it, and um, I, one of the local trail guides had a clear warning sign, and all caps said, never hike alone. <laughs> Connect the dots, I'm on a personal retreat, and I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> new year, new you, right? So I went. So the trail was about five and a half mile loop, um, and it was marked as a moderate hike. And so I, I, I didn't actually intend to go on the hike. So, okay, I did text Tanya. That was part of the, the trail guide thing. It was like, hey, let someone know that you're going to go. So I texted her. I was like, hey, I'm going to go on this hike. Um, I'll text you when I get back. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't intending to actually go on this hike because I actually had no idea where it was. There's an area, and so I went there, and then I saw the trail marker, and I kind of just kept going. Um, much of the hike uh, was making your way, if you guys look at it, um, you know, over, around these, these rocks and, and these formations. It was amazing. Um, part of the hike itself was along kind of this mountainside, which is not very high. Um, and so you're walking alongside this, this rocks mountain thing. But it was high enough that there was a valley that was created, and you could look over it, and it just was gorgeous. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So, um, you know, as we're going, we get to this one, I, I get to this one point. Um, and, and the risk was already there, but more risk was added when it started to sprinkle. And in the near distance, dark cumulus clouds were coming. And it was around 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock when I started the hike. And so uh, it was a, a rush uh, for daylight. Um, but I kept going, and I made it from here. So made it out. And I remember um, at the end of this hike, I remember this, this feeling, this overwhelming feeling, I'm really tired. But the other feeling that I did, was getting was this, this sense of like awe and wonder and amazement. Like I did not know my body, my soul, like everything about me needed that hike. The amount of risk, the amount of beauty, being out in nature, like the adrenaline of it all was exactly what I needed. And I remember at the end I was like, God, thank you so much. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for being such a personal God that in this moment, in this entire creation of universe, I felt seen. See, we're in uh, week three. I'm unpacking our vision. Um, and so let's take a look at that slide really quick. So it says, we are uh, one multi-ethnic community of Christ followers that are committed to the word of God, to accompanying each other in the journey of life and working towards cultivating justice and shalom, both locally and globally. See, the vision statement isn't just for uh, 2023. Um, in many ways, um, we've already been living out this vision in the form of values. Um, and so really, we've articulated a vision from the values that we, we've already been living out and embodying. And so this isn't to say that we've lived it out. And so we're like, hey, this is great. We got to, you know, like, this is it. We've already reached our goal. Rather, we want to move more intentionally 
um, to live and embody these values and this vision um, in such a way that it continues to glorify God. And this is why we're, we're calling this our vision. And so as we go through the series, there's only one more Sunday left. And again, if you've missed last Sunday or the Sunday before, I encourage you guys, like, just listen to it. it it's some great stuff. Um, Jay, wherever Jay Lee's at. Every time he preaches, I'm just like, dang, dude, that's so good. So thank you, Elliot, too. Same. Um, but as we go through this series, um, not to say Elliot was, I'm just, <laughs> just sorry. I, I made it sound like that. I'm just, anyhow, um, love both you guys. This is great. Um, so, but as we go through this series, it's also an invitation to live this out together. And so that is our hope, that as we communicate this out, as we spend time just sitting in each value or each vision, that we as a church can say yes and amen, we want to do that together. So as we get to this part of our vision, to accompany each other in the journey of life, uh, oh, okay, beat me to it. All right, there's significance to this part of our vision. And here's why. Accompanying each other in the journey of life is where we find substance to our value, uh, to our vision and values. Most of us are pretty familiar with this, uh, this expression, uh, where the rubber, where rubber meets the road, right? We're pretty familiar with that. Did you know that every time a plane lands, each tire leaves about one and a half pounds of rubber on the runway? So at uh, London's Heathrow Airport, there's an average of about 650 planes that land a day. And each of those planes have about 10 tires touching down onto the runway. That means around 10,000 pounds of rubber melts onto that runway each day. So it's not just an expression, but there is thick, thick substance to this. And so again, back to our vision, if we remove the context of community, of doing life together and, and accompanying one another from our vision, then what are we left with? Actually did this. We are multi-ethnic Christ followers that are committed to the word of God and working towards cultivating justice shalom, both locally and globally. Still sounds fantastic. I would put that up on a billboard, right? <laughs> sounds great. But where's the actual substance to that? Right. What's also unique about this third part of our vision is the inherent risk and the depth of joy that can be experienced on very personal levels for all of us. So deep hurts, right? If, uh, if, if there's a lack of boundaries, um, if there's unhealthy leadership, if there's this unhealthy culture that prevails in a church community, what have we potentially experienced? And this is probably part of our stories, a lot of our stories here. Unmet expectations. Leadership failures, burnout, right? Have you guys heard the saying, hurt people, hurt people? If the church is for the hurting people, but there's no avenue, there's no discipleship, there's no care towards healing, then we just continue to hurt each other. So there is inherent risk in doing life together as a church. And I'll say church here. <laughs> there's inherent risk in doing life together here. At the same time, inherent risk is present. There's also some of the greatest joys that we've experienced. There's embodiment of grace, of love, and forgiveness, like actual embodiment that someone does and lit says and, and um, carries into your presence. There's lifelong friendships. I met my wife at church, so the potential for spouses. <laughs> Um, 
There's healing. There's redemption. And it's not just for what others can receive, but it's also what we get to experience as we participate. So we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We get to be a part of someone's healing and someone's redemption story. Those are all joys that nothing in this world can compare with. And so when we look at the presence of inherent risk and the greatest joys, those are there because this is where we find substance to our faith. So um, what do we mean when we talk about journeying together in the context of our vision and our values? Um, we're going to look at a passage today. It's Luke 7, 36 through 50. Um, and, and there's different titles to it. Uh, the one I, I stuck with is the story of the sinful woman. And you might be wondering, because I was wondering when God gave this to me, this is so weird. Like, how, how would this betray and communicate doing life together? So for me, it, it felt like a very unlikely passage until I sat with it. And so let's read this passage together and then let's unpack it. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We could read it together. Uh, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my uh, feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This passage um, has probably, you guys have probably heard it and it's probably pe preached in so many different ways. Um, there is just so much rich content and so much teaching and, and uh, principles and truth that can be pulled out of it. But where I want to start and, and kind of where I want to anchor us uh, really is kind of the secret sauce to doing life together. And it's this, that to do life together well and to do life together with intention, with purpose, it's to root ourselves in the ongoing mission and presence of Jesus. See, the strategies, the principles, and values to journey together, 
Those are all super important things. We've got to be asking those questions. We need to think through them. We need to talk through them. But there's a question. There's a question that um, as, I, as I look at how we get to journey together, how we do life together, how we do community, how we do small groups, there's a question that I've constantly wrestled with, and it's this. What makes us any different from any other context of doing life together that we can find at work, at school, with our families, with our neighbors? What makes us any different from the communities that we get to have in this world? And perhaps, perhaps we need to actually flip that question to ask not just what makes us different, but what needs to be different. What needs to be different about who we are that makes us something other than the communities we can experience in other areas of life? And here's the answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The hope, love, truth, grace, redemption, and healing, just to name a few things, um, those are all stuff that we receive, we embody, and we give away. And that's what should make this space different from the other communities that we get to have. Where else are we going to hear, hey, your sins are forgiven? Where else are we going to hear that your faith has saved you? Go in peace. Where else are we going to be challenged to say, or not to say, but to live out, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Matthew 5, 44. Where else are we going to be challenged to look out, not just for our own interests, but also to the interests of others? Philippians 2, 4. See, where else are we going to be called to live, to be, to love in ways that are just radically different from this world? I don't know if there's any other community. And if there's nothing that we, we or you or any one of us take away from today's message, I actually pray that this would be it, that this is the main point to what we talk about when we say accompanying one another in the journey of life. It's that any effort we make uh, to do life together, it has to be rooted in the ongoing mission and presence of Jesus. And if you break that apart, there's intention in that because it's active and it's participatory and it's changing, it's, it's organic. There is purpose and there is intention. See, God calls us, he calls his church to be his people. There's an identity, there's a relationship. And he sets us on a, a purpose and a mission to say, you are going to be my feet. You're going to be a light. You're going to be salt in this world. And so at no point in those statements does it become static. At no point in that statement do we get to rest and not ever move again. At no point does it say it's all about what we need and what we have to have. But at the same time, as we join in, the greatest gifts are stuff that we get to experience too. So as much as it is about those who are not here or those who are in need, it's also stuff that we get to experience. And here's, here's what's mind-blowing about all this. That as we join in, as we enter in with what God is doing, not only get to, do we get to uh, experience and see what he does in other people's lives, but at the same time that, that happens, our lives get deepened and changed. We get formed in greater likeness to Christ. And if I don't know about you guys, that is something I deeply and desperately need.
And so if Jesus is at the center, if we're going to root ourselves in Christ, and that's kind of the foundation and the core uh, and what we hold on to as we look at journeying together, um, what are some other areas that we can look at, right? So going back to the questions of approach, value, strategies, and principles, um, what do we see in our passage today that might continue to shape how we do life together? And the first thing is this. It gives focus, uh, at least in this passage, there is great focus on the margin and fringes of society. And this for me is important. Because <laughs> I think oftentimes this is where people are overlooked. In this passage at the start of it, both the Pharisee and the woman are identified rather objectively at the start of the passage. Right? Their names aren't given, which really heightens the labels they carry. Uh, the Pharisee's name is revealed at some point as Simon, but the woman's name isn't revealed at all throughout the entire passage. And what's amazing is if you think about um, the, the timeless nature of Scripture, we can start to recognize that this woman can be re representative of any people or any group who have been on the margins, uh, margins, who have been rejected, who have been outcasted by both the church and society at large. See, during, um, why this is significant too, during the height of the pandemic um, at our church, uh, so at, in 2020, everyone was in just crisis mode. We were all surviving, right? And so a lot of our focus was on who was here and how we can care and repair with one another well. Everyone was in um, uh, mode of just getting by. So in tw uh, 2021, um, our, our vision and direction was pretty simple. It just was to care and repair for those who were here. And if we could do that well, great, that would be success. And so we put our efforts and our attention to do that. Who was here, both online and in person? And we just poured out resources to do that. Then in 2022, last year, um, you know, things got a little bit seemingly more manageable with COVID. Um, life returned to, to a little more normalcy. Um, and so capacity started to return. And at that time, we started to ask a different question. Not only who is here, but who is not here. And that opened the door to do uh, partnership with Soulful and, and other uh, areas of connection and partnership. And so it started to change from not just who's here, but who's not here. So it's a new year now, 2023. And there's a third question um, that I think we might be missing. And that question needs to go beyond asking uh, who's not here to asking who's not here because of barriers and boundaries that God had not intended to be there. There's a progression that has happened in this. And, and I like if you guys have read Acts 1, there's a similarity to what's happened, right? Where the center was at, in Jerusalem, and then the Holy Spirit started to push his people out and out and out. That, that was God's intention for the gospel to go into this entire world. Not to say that that's what God's doing here. I don't know. I, I've been sitting with this all week, and, and this has landed pretty strongly for me. But I feel like there's a value to this question that we need to be asking as, as the church. So one, yes, who is here? Two, who is not here? And then that question of who is not here because of the barriers or boundaries that God had not intended to be there. And so those are the boundaries and barriers that have kept people out or kept people away. It's a risky attempt to try and answer that question. 
But that's kind of where our church is at now in this season. And as you know, Vanessa has talked about that opportunity to enter into LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus conversation. That's part of our intent, is to start asking questions that the church, by and large, says, nope, any mention of that, and red flags go off. But can we interrogate why those red flags are going off? And what it is about those red flags that cause uh, us to even have these feelings of like, oh, I can't, like we, we can't go there, right? The other part of this passage um, and what stood out for me was that Jesus sees and receives this woman. See, under purity laws Jew, that the Jews practiced, Jesus would have been considered ceremonially ceremonially unclean by allowing this woman to touch him. Yet he receives her. And what is significant uh, in Jesus doing that is that Jesus then identifies with the shame that this woman has carried. If you track along with this passage, um, you know, the story unfolds where uh, Simon the Pharisee hosts this event and, and commentators have said that, you know, it, it Part of it was probably his ego to say, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to you know, have this, this teacher. I'm going to have the prophet over. And, and that becomes like this uh, societal like thing that he gets to show to the world. And it's an open banquet. And so anybody can come in and peek in. Guests that were invited are already there. But those who are part of that, that town or that area get to kind of peek in and see. And so this woman comes in. She's heard about Jesus. Um, She's had something that has drawn her to there. And so she, with intent, has taken an alabaster jar. And if you're not familiar with that, um, it is a jar that is typically completely sealed. And so this woman went with the intent that she was either going to go all in, break the jar, and use it on Jesus, or she was going to shy away and not. And so she goes into the scene. Jesus is reclining, right? And he's eating, and his feet is there. And as she goes to him, the story unfolds that she, she, like, she just can't contain herself. She's in the presence of Jesus. And as she does that, she starts to weep. And, and, and I don't think, like, it's not like, you know, when my kids shower, they try to drip water from the hair into buckets that are there. She wasn't trying to do that. I imagine it was this ugly cry, and it just was tears were just dripping and dropping down. And she wets Jesus' feet. And out of maybe this, like, embarrassment, she starts to, she takes her hair, lets it down, which in that culture signifies a little bit of promiscuity. And she starts to wipe his feet. She then breaks that jar, anoints Jesus' feet, and rubs it. If this woman had any intent to hide and sneak in and, and kind of have this encounter with Jesus, like celebrity status, and then sneak away, all that was gone. All eyes would have been on her. And in fact, it was. Because Simon, the host, was like, oh my gosh. If only Jesus knew who was touching her, that she was a sinner. He would turn her away. But Jesus didn't do that. He received her cries. He received her hair wiping his feet. He received the, the anointing of the oil upon his feet. And he received his, her kisses on her feet. And I don't know about you, culturally speaking, if I just play out that image in my mind, I'm like, I, I don't want to be touching anybody's feet, let alone a culture where they don't have shoes, 
they're wearing sandals, and their only mobility is to walk in dirt. And at that same time, there's something about Jesus' encounter with this woman that both set her free, but at the same time, and, and here's the, the caveat, commentators will argue whether or not that encounter was her salvation or if she had already been saved before. And this is significant. Because at the time that she came in, she knew there was something of worth that this person, Jesus Christ, embodied. And she was willing to go all out for him. But at the same time that she does that, the religious elite had this perception of who this person was. And they were ready to turn her away at any moment's notice to do that. See, there's a risk that churches and Christian communities run into as we live out our faith. And that risk is to um, eventually to separate, to isolate from the shame, sin, and brokenness of this world. And part of that, whether it's, uh, you know, tradition or discipleship or, or philosophy of ministry, whatever it might be, it has happened countless times that seemingly the closer we get to Jesus, the further away we are from the grime and the brokenness and the, the darkness of this world because the two somehow can't seem to exist together, at least not for the Christian church. But that's not what we see Jesus do over and over again, and that's not what he does in this passage. And that is our hope to continually press into the tension of living both into the righteousness, to live into our holiness of God, while also being present to the suffering and brokenness of those around us. And why is this significant? Because to do life together, to accompany each other, um, if we were to follow the ongoing mission of Jesus and presence of Jesus, it's going to mean that we are going to get dirty. It is going to mean that we're rubbing shoulders with shame it is going to mean that we're going to rub shoulders with areas that we might get rejected by other churches who are like, nope, it's black and white. That's all it is. But at the same time, this is exactly where Jesus is at. One more thought on this is that this is a real life story. Her name's not captured, but her story is forever in God's word. There's risk and it's weighty and we need to recognize it. And so as we do life, as we accompany one another, it is significant. There's weight that is there. So how does the story end? If you guys followed it, it's, it said, verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There were three interactions uh, where Jesus described that this woman um, has been forgiven. He looks at the woman and says, you are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. And then this last line where it says, um, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That's significant. Because was the woman hard of hearing? Was it was music blaring that she couldn't like, it was like, oh, hey, Jesus, I think, come on, say a little bit louder, I can't hear you. Commentators say that perhaps Jesus was intentional to do that because it wasn't for what she needed to hear but it was what for the religious community to be able to hear. Jesus' act uh, was to simply say, and here's the cliffhanger, will the community accept Jesus' renewal of this woman's social status 
though for accepting and extending community to her. We don't know if, Pharisee, uh, if Simon and his community and his, his crew did it or not. We don't know if she was accepted or rejected. And this is a common tool used in gospel narratives. Um, and it's a way of inviting us, right? So if, as we hear this story, we now have that opportunity to wonder and to say, hey, if I was in that, in that position, what would I do? And this is what I love about it, right? It doesn't end neatly. It's not like this completely packaged story where it's like happily ever after. Who knows? But what we do know is that we now have this opportunity to then say, if Jesus has accepted this person, will we as a community extend community and accept them? That's the flavor of what we talk about when we want to do and accompany one another in, in life. It is both what's needed here. It's both how we can care and walk with each other well here. It's also about who's not here. And then this third piece, which is to say, who has the church pushed away, pushed aside, rejected, created boundaries and barriers to prevent them from being a part of this community, this life-giving family that God is present with? My prayer is that we as a community can enter into that and interrogate that question and do that well. I have uh, one more thought on, on this value, part of our vision, before I have a couple of closing thoughts. And it's the value of accompanying and journeying together. And so if you guys have been with us long enough, you've, you might have heard Dave talk about this idea of slow cooked. And, and I think of this analogy, and you've probably used it too, um, but it's, it's of like you're cooking a stew, like a beef stew or homemade spaghetti sauce. The longer you let it sit and just like simmer, the better it tastes, right? Tanya and I, maybe I'll say for myself, I love leftovers. That's how I survive. Certain leftovers you heat up, you're like, oh my gosh, I just need to like get this into my body and just be done with lunch. And then there's some leftovers where you're just like, oh my gosh, this tastes better than it did when it was first cooked. That is the idea of slow cooked. That as we give it time, as we give it nurturing, it becomes more rich, more delicious. Not that we're going to eat each other, taste each other. But it's the idea of this community offers something that is of deep richness and flavor. It's also being present to one another in joys and sorrows of life and most anything in between. It's to carry space for one another to say, hey, I see you in your celebrations and I see you in your sorrows. And I can be present with you in both of those areas of life. If it takes you a decade to get to a point of celebration, I can commit to that too. Because I see where that's where Jesus is at. And the last thing about company and journey is um, we don't try to fix each other. I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't have much to do to offer to any of you guys to fix you. <laughs> but I can't offer a space to be like, hey, I see your pain. Or, hey, let's go celebrate. And ultimately, what we want to do is give space and presence for the Holy Spirit to minister. That's his job, not ours. Here's my closing thoughts, and I'm going to kind of go through these quickly because uh, we've been on here for a while. Here's closing thoughts, and I wanted to be able to give us something more tangible. So again, as we look at accompanying together, there's both the idea of who's here, who's not here, and then wrestling through that question of who's not here because of the barriers or boundaries that God did not intend. All of that is not necessarily a progression. We don't do one and then another and then another, although that helps. All of it somehow is intertwined. 
And in that intertwining, we got to do work here. We got to do work outside. We got to do work in different capacities. So what can we do here that allows for community to grow? And there's three things for me. This one, okay. First thing is be real about expectations. Not all of us are coming into this community at a certain life stage in a certain season of life. We're all in different phases, all in different seasons. We've come, some of you guys just started coming last month. Some of you guys have been here last year. Some of us have been here for years. Some of us were here from the start. All of that together lends to this, this whole array of expectations to say, oh my gosh, like our needs continue to change. What you came in with uh, to this church might be different now because you're in a different season of life. All right, I think of uh, Jan and Christian who are about to have their second kid. When they had their first kid, that was one season of life. Now that they're adding a number two, whoo, Lord have mercy, right? Or when you start a new job, whatever it might be, you have a transition. Your needs become different. And so we got to be real about our expectations. Be real with ourselves and be real with one another. Next thing is this. Be clear about our boundaries. Ba these are both boundaries with ourselves and boundaries with others. If you don't have boundaries, you're going to be in an unhealthy relationship. And so if you need to figure out your boundaries, let's talk. Let's do that. But on the other hand, if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm not willing to go there, we need to respect that boundary because that's the safety that they need. And part of our respecting their boundary also allows uh, a, safe, a, a community that's safe for all. And the last thing is this. So be real about our expectations. Be clear about our boundaries. The last one is be intentional about repairing. There's risk in relationships. And that means that we're not going to get it right all the time. In fact, if a relationship is healthy, there will be conflict. So I practice this regularly, especially with my kids. And it sounds like this. Hey, Daddy, sorry. I messed up. And we talked through what I did, what I said, or how I acted. And that's repairing. Pastor Jay Lee um, left us last week with the word courage. Um, and, and that still stands for us today. That to do life together is going to take an insurmountable uh, amount of courage. And so let's pray. God, as we, um, as we close out our time, Lord, um, we recognize that uh, this aspect of our vision is, is really risky. But there is such great reward. And all of that comes uh, in the form of your presence, Lord God. And so we pray, uh, Lord, would you continue to move in our midst? Would you continue to minister to each person here? Would you be the one that unites and, and um, um, draws our hearts together so that we would join in on the mission that you're doing? Lord, in that mission, um, in, in this era of your plan, God, um, feels like it's even more desperately needed. And so, Lord, would you continue to, to call our church to join in with you, but also to have a space here where we, where we talk about our being multicultural, where we talk about being in the word, where we talk about cultivating justice and shalom, that there's a community of people that are already living that out. So that as we talk about these values, we can say, hey, hey, here's how I've experienced it here in this community. Or here's how we're working it out in this community. So yes, Lord, may we be the hands and the feet to those who are not here, but also to those who are here. May we be love and grace and truth uh, and joy. Um, may we be all of that to one another here. God, will we do it with courage? Will we do it with kindness? Amen.